Welcome to Flipped, the Irish animation podcast. Hi, I'm Megan. Hi, I'm Aidan. Welcome to the Flipped Animation Podcast. We uh, set this up to kind of showcase what's happening in the Irish animation uh, scene. And uh, we are hoping to do a monthly podcast and we hope that you like it. Yes, indeed. So our first interviewee uh, was Andrew Cavanagh of Cavalier Productions. He's their founder and CEO and he also writes, directs and produces a lot of their work. He is uh, an award-winning filmmaker. He's got four digital media awards, I think, uh, two IFTA nominations, and uh, he's also often referred to as one of these top 40, uh, under 40 sort of entrepreneur people. So he's an interesting guy, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. great podcast, if I do say so. <laughs> <laughs> Before we start, uh, I'll just give you a few notes um, on the uh, interview. Um, firstly, he talks about Ballyferma College, which is an animation course in Dublin. Uh, he also talks about Cahill Gaffney and uh, Daryl Connell from Brownbag, uh, co-founders of Brownbag Films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew also uses the term clean up, which in case you don't know, means um, cleaning up. So putting a f- sort of one single clean line over the kind of rough drawings that uh, animators would usually uh, do when they're starting off in traditional animation. He also uses the term wrong-handed when he's talking about that process. Um, and that just means that if you're right-handed, you use your left hand, and if you're left-handed, you use your right hand. If you hear the uh, term Frameworks Grant bandied about, it is the Irish Film Board or TE Arts Council grant to make short animated films. Uh, things like Give Up Your Elf Sins, Granny Grimm, 50% Grey, they were all made using this grant. So here's the interview. Uh, enjoy. Andrew Kavanagh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, welcome to me. Thank you, thank you very much for doing this. Um, so I think probably the easiest thing to do is to start uh, at the start. Uh, okay. So you went to Ballyfermot. I did. And you had some... There were, that was quite a good class, wasn't it? Yeah, year, well, yeah, it was... Um, I, I started in 1990. Um, and, you know... Uh, the ADS course, and I, I hadn't intended continuing after that, but I had oh. such a good crack that I decided I'd, I'd stick it out. <laughs> um, and uh, I did uh, started the, the diploma class, which was a three year class in '91. So it would have been in that year, would have been, um, uh, you know, Darrow Connell was in that year, Robert Cullen uh, was in the following year, but I ended up in their year because um, they, uh, I, I, I failed second year, so I had to repeat. <laughs> Um, Cockle Gaffney was a year ahead of me um, right. Richard Bainham was in my year um, Alan Shannon was in my year uh, and uh, John Rice was in the year that I went into subsequently so wow. you know pretty much you know, all the, the heads of all the studios all the heads town. of all the studios <laughs> around town yeah so it was um, it was it was a really good time yeah, yeah. Um, and there are some some you know people who've gone on to you know I mean everybody out of my class now is working internationally or Domestically, and you know they've all made really good careers for themselves. Excellent, brilliant. Mm. And then, so I think one of the things that always interested me, especially when I was a student, was mm-hmm. how what the first job was and how that sort of first job happened. Yeah, um, the f- first job at animation was brown bag. Actually, got a job okay. uh, cell painting on um, Peg, <laughs> which was their first production. Oh, yeah, so it was ninety four, which is like nineteen years ago now. And uh, I got yeah, I mean I was at the. I got had an help, but I got a invite to the Pebble and the Penguin uh, premiere. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but I got a uh, Daryl O'Connell was at it, and he said to me, "Do you want a job?" 
cell <laughs> painting and I said yeah alright so it was the summer and I've been doing a FOSS course in Baldoyle and uh, which I was quite enjoying actually but, um, but I decided I'd better do something career focused and so around July of 1994 would have been the start of my kind of career in animation my first animation job mm. cell painting so uh-huh. yeah excellent so that I mean because that seems to be the way isn't it with animation a lot of time it's like sort of friends or sort of a reference yeah. or sort of a circle of yeah, it's a small, it's a small pool. Yeah, you didn't. There's not many people escape the radar. So, um, back then, it was there was no pool. Yeah. Really. It was like <laughs> it was I mean, cool, there was, yeah. was blues and everything else, and everything else was. I mean, brown bag had just started, and then uh, there were um, a couple of companies which were sort of Terglyph, um, Mercani Wolf, there was oh, yeah. Animedia, was, um, Dagda was uh, another one. Um, that was Paul Bolger's studio, okay. um, and uh, one or two others who uh, have since uh, bitten the dust, but. Uh, they, yeah, there weren't. There wasn't a whole lot going on yeah. uh, at the time. Cool. So you stayed in Brownback for a while then. Yeah, um, I went back to them. I got. I graduated in '95, um, and we we ended up. Uh, our, our course tutor was. Um, I think his father died, and uh, so we no tutor really for about six months. So we we all went down to work for Shepherd Films from around February '95, um, and I was there till about middle of summer I'd say uh, doing storyboards um, on uh, on a thing called the story keepers and then uh, yeah around that time I think it was uh, I just got a call from Brown Bag they were doing some uh, some contract work for Honeycomb Animation and um, I got a job animating um, on a thing called Wolves which is in Giants so I went from um, you know kind of doing storyboards to animating and that was the opportunity that I wanted you know yeah, I, d- I yeah, yeah. could have stuck it out and I had applied for Bluth but they uh, conveniently closed down in July of that year so <laughs> no, uh, yeah, don't take it I, got, I, <laughs> I did get offered a job doing clean up which I was dreading because it was lousy at clean up and uh, I could see it being a very short engagement so uh, <laughs> so, I got it, so I ended up yeah there were four of us on that myself Alan Shannon Shana Farrell and um, uh, I can't remember who the other one was. <laughs> yeah, we ended up animating uh, an episode each, and you know, oh, wow. Spike Milligan did the voices, so that was great. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so we, you know, it was a kids' TV series for the UK. It was a lot of fun. Good. Excellent. Yeah. And that, so all in all, for Brown Baggy, you were there for. A couple oh, of years. Um, I was there on and off till. Um, you know, there were there were kind of lulls uh, with yeah. Brown Bag at the time, and uh, so I was there probably till about ninety seven. Um, but I'd been hopping back. There was another studio called Rocket Animation, um, oh, yeah. which is a subsidiary of Coco, and uh, I, I, that was another great experience because I was, um, you know, there was a very small operation. There were two people there and me, and uh, it was, uh, you know, I, I got to to work and mostly cut out animation, and I did some three D animation in a program called Lightwave oh, yeah. um, around that time. So I was kind of going back and forth between. Um, well, for our first well, that came next, and uh, <laughs> between Brown Bag and Rocket, and then I ended up doing about maybe a couple of years of Rocket then okay. as well. Yeah, very good. So then you said, yeah, Buddy Farmer came next. So that was teaching. Yeah, that was um, yeah, that was uh, during a Brown Bag lull. Um, Cahill <laughs> <laughs> was trying to find uh, stuff for us to do. There was myself um, and uh, Shane uh, Farrell, who's now a rock star. And he's uh, he's touring the world, but he was uh, we were kind of offered to Bali Firmus because they hadn't got um, anybody to teach the skills or the you know the, the, the what you call it again the principles. Yes. So uh, yeah, yeah. so we went down um, on a kind of a loan, and I ended up staying there for that was ninety six. I think that's when I started, and I, mm-hmm. I did part time up until 
uh, 2001. So it was about five years teaching in Bowie Farms, and then I continued in Dunleary for a few years after that. So, Excellent. Yeah. Taught the great and good of... Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, there were a hell of a lot of amazing students passed through. There was kind of a, a, a couple of years the Cartoon Saloon guys came through. Mm, um, yeah. Tom and Paul, I remember Aiden Hart um, was, that was the first year I was teaching Aiden Hart was there and he quit after first year. And uh, he just, you know, he, he realized he had enough to go with and it was like, okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, then suddenly, you know, he kind of created and directed, um, you know, his Kung Fu and, mm. you know, um, like, I mean, you know, the, uh, there are so many people now. I had, I counted, I remember when I left, I counted out over a thousand students in wow. seven years. So uh, I can't remember um, all of them. So yeah, you're not going to rattle but, uh, off every name. <laughs> no, but I mean, you do see them, like you know, yeah. and, like you, you see names. Like and it's very little that I can say that I you turn on TV and look at a credit sequence and not see somebody that I taught at some point. You know, which is good. You know, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, those. You know, it was it, it was just an amazing place at the time. Mm. You know, I really I thrived on it. Like it was great. Uh, it was better for me than the students uh, in a lot of ways, but, uh, you know, yeah, it was good. Well, it was great for, yeah. speaking as a student, it was really nice as well to have, have someone sort of like you as well who would come in and someone who was, who had just sort of been fresh from the industry and was good, yeah. had worked in Ireland, which is where we'd probably all end up, yeah. you know, being, being as Bluth had gone and everything like that. Yeah. Well, it was sort of, yeah, it was a weird time, you know, it was, the college didn't know who they were producing graduates for. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it quickly became the games industry in the UK that, that that's right. I think when I was, left, yeah. that's kind of where they were sort of yeah. headed. Yeah. yeah, they were definitely. I mean, that was that was sort of like the next center, really. That's um, I, I, there was an arrangement with Disney with the college, but that started the dry up as well. Yeah, and then so I suppose the next thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, and stop me anywhere yeah. here is an evil cradling. Then I suppose yeah. the next big thing. Yeah, I've been working in. I was still in Rocket, and uh, I was uh, I was working with. Um, Becca Lowe and Fitzpatrick, who's just an amazing art director, yeah, you know, yeah. They're really, really talented guy. Like, um, I'd done, uh, you know, a series he'd created for uh, for um, RTE uh, called Mikey Sporting Madness, which was a <laughs> cutout thing, you know, it was all done with Pantones and everything was mm-hmm. sort of Pantones and acetate and his amazing backgrounds and just mm-hmm. very sort of anarchic kind of... Um, rude and you know a lot of fun to do like you know so but I, I i mean i was in a i was working under rostrum which is probably it was probably one of the last animators in the country to be doing that mm-hmm. kind of work but um but he had great guys and then he had Stuart holgate there as well working on those so i don't think anybody knows about that Stuart was probably the best student um ever came out of bali farmers and uh you know these were it was a good time but you know we just i, I had a, a friend um who had been doing a bit of work there keith forward yeah. he was now running the course in dunleary and Keith and I decided to put a frameworks application in. We did it very last minute. Um, and uh, that was Evil Cradling. I suppose it would have been 98 I made the application. So okay, they've yeah. Board, yeah. yeah. So you um, had read the book? Or Keith had yeah, read the book? Or? I'd read the book, yeah. I'd read the book. and um, Which is this Brian, yeah. Brian Keenan's book about Not, it. not, not a, an obvious shoot for a cartoon, <laughs> but it's like... Uh, yeah, I'd read Brian Keenan's book, and um, I, you know, I I'd read it maybe ten years prior to that, or whenever he came out, and it wasn't wasn't quite ten years because he was still in captivity. Yeah. Ten years prior to that, but it was it wasn't short. It was long shortly after after he had come out of captivity, he published the book, and I thought it was amazing. Mm. Um, and there was one thing, one chapter often with a book like you know visual stuff will stick with me, and uh, mm. he had this chapter about being in this um you know 
trapped in this little cell and you know um, his senses starting to change you know because he was in darkness all the time and he you know he was, he was so limited so uh, his mind started to unravel and uh, he talked about his, his dreams and sort of visions that he had during that time it's very uh, very influential sort of piece <laughs> for me you know yeah. so I, I thought maybe you know this might be an idea to try and explore that and um, it's not something I'd seen very often so uh, that's what interested me in doing that yeah, that was fun. Yeah, yeah, and again, yeah, you see, uh, Owen's amazing. Yeah, backgrounds as well. Owen, yeah, it was great. Yeah, like I mean, he just um, I, I can't remember how many he did, but he did actually. Uh, we did actually get a couple of guys in, um, toward the end of it uh, to to help out on that. You know, um, they did some of the backgrounds in his style. And it was mm. a bit of an ask for anybody mm. to kind of follow his style, but um, but you know, it was just too, really was too much. He's so incredibly. Um, focus on what he's doing and everything mm. takes it as long as it takes you know so but it was worth it you know it was, yeah. I mean, to get that look it was, uh, it was good um, so uh, unfortunately the animation didn't quite stand, stand up to the, <laughs> the quality of the art direction but, um, but it was still um, you know it was an early effort but uh, so I don't know like one of the things that I've always kind of been interested in and mm. is you do this idea you do like a day of life drawing especially about yeah. a somewhere and you do animation mm. and there's sometimes this kind of gap between the mm-hmm. two whereas something like say that last scene where he's yeah. dancing around and everything that's animated life drawings that's fantastic that's yes yeah. yeah it's kind of rotoscope though um, <laughs> but yes, it's kind of rotoscope I got a friend of mine to, uh, to come into Coco and do um, there was kind of a mezzanine thing and I just shot him like with a video camera you know doing a dance and uh, but what happened was we did it. Yeah, I I got the animators to um, Tom Caulfield was one of the, the guys who worked on that mm. sequence, and um, he's another guy who started on the studio now. But he uh, he like we we kind of did every fourth drawing, and we um, you know there was a kind of a, a a very rough rotoscope pass on it, which was just li- literally blocked out, and then the rest of it was all done in nine B pencil, and um, <laughs> every fourth drawing. And there had to be some wrong-handed. It was, it was very, you know, I, I was trying to kind of make it look like it wasn't rotoscoped, you know. <laughs> right. So we wrong-handed some of the drawings, you know. And oh, wow. um, we did, um, yeah, we did, a, and it was all like, you know, everybody's fresh from the life drawing thing, you know. Mm, and yeah. um, so there was all this kind of connectedness to it. So it was absolutely, uh, you know, it, it did have a fundamental sort of, um, you know, uh, reference for the movement. Yes. But it, it you know, it was so rough you know in the mm. in in the way we you know normally that phase is called clean up but we kind of roughed it up <laughs> and uh, so i think it worked you know and it's yeah, probably absolutely. the most successful part of the film really <laughs> in a lot of ways you know um but it was the one you know, one part of the film was i was happiest with it because you know i think everything kind of came together yes. you know in terms of music and movement and yeah the, the montage and so on you know so um and the narration so you know and brian wasn't on like we didn't have his permission to do it okay. at the start um so that was uh uh, I got shortlisted for for the for the award, and then mm-hmm. um, the the film board called me, and I never had any dealings with the film board, and they said, um, "So have you got the option?" And I said, "What's an option?" <laughs> and they said, uh, "Well, you know, you need his permission to do it." Do I? Okay, <laughs> right. So, uh, so I don't know any of this. So, so, so I I went to the cinema. Um, to you know to kind of you know take my mind off the fact that they were they were going to drop. The shortlist offer if I didn't get his permission because I couldn't get through to him, um, and uh, he was sitting in front of me in the cinema. So, what? So that's, yeah, he was uh, like two rows ahead, and I was like, it was with my girlfriend, and I was like, I think that's Brian Keenan, you know, um, and he's kind of famously reclusive, so I thought yeah. that can't be him, you know. 
And uh, he was there, yeah. So I just I I, I followed him to the toilet. <laughs> And uh, said, "Excuse me, uh, Brian. Uh, listen, uh, I sound odd, but uh, so he said, just meet me uh, next week in the the Darky Island Hotel. And, you know, at the time he was living at that that neck of the woods. Yeah. And uh, so I met him, and you know, was kind of like uh, explained to him what I wanted to do. And he uh, he said, well, talk to my agent. So after a bit of finagling, anyway, um, the agent agreed to it. But she was very protective of him you know obviously yeah, you know yeah. and he'd been kind of screwed around a little bit before you know the option had gone out on the book prior to that and um, to Kenneth Branagh I believe um, and that hadn't panned out but it did it ultimately get made um, as a film called Blind Flight okay. um, about three years after Evil Craven came out so okay. was actually adapted as a, as, a, as a feature so yeah so it was a weird it was kind of accidental start but there you go but yeah it's start <laughs> of Cavalier as well. yeah. yeah so that was the start of Cavalier yeah so but Cavalier yeah. then wasn't necessarily a company or it wasn't no, no, or no 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 some may say it's still not but <laughs> it's, um, it's uh, no it's it didn't start really it was 98 um, that we we kicked off I suppose and we did it with Rocket uh, so it was kind of Cavalier Rocket yeah. co-production or you know yeah because you and Keith sort of this co-director well Keith was working yeah Keith was working in Rocket and yeah. I was working well I was also working in Rocket but mm. At the start, um, you know, we did it in their facility, so, you know, mm. we were like, we just, um, you know, but we did it all kind of, you know, ourselves, you know, yeah. in our spare yeah, time yeah, and yeah, stuff, yeah. so, you know, so we just, we knew we were going to start a company, and uh, so that was kind of it, yeah, that was, um, myself and Keith did uh, the first incarnation of Cavalier, and then mm. it went on hold then for uh, a couple of years, and then we did another frameworks in 2000. Yeah, and uh, that was kind of the start of it because that was we knew we needed we had a very ambitious sort of idea which um, was kind of too ambitious for the budget really. Was this the Milner? This is the Milner, yeah. yeah. So we ended up um, we did take a, a kind of an office at that point in uh, October two thousand and um, on Dame Street, and that was the kind of sort of the first um, first kind of steps toward becoming a studio. And uh, we took so long in the milliner that they uh, changed the, um, the the payment structure uh, in the film board, um, right. and uh, you know you could just do you could just apply yourself back then as an animator oh, okay. and they would okay. give you the award and you would look oh. after it. But I, I I think that didn't work out quite too well. So they <laughs> so halfway through the milliner we'd done the the kind of the first half of it and then we went back looking for another check, and uh, the film board said uh, oh you need to be a limited company now. So we we're like. All right, you know, and we'd been operating under a different name because I decided to change the name of uh, Cavalier after uh, Keith wasn't involved with the second incarnation. So it was okay. like, so we were calling ourselves uh, Square Egg Productions oh, for okay. about eight months, <laughs> and uh, but we'd apply it as Cavalier. So uh, oh, so they right. said, no, you have to finish it as Cavalier. We can't be Square Egg. Who the hell are Square Egg? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can't just give the first check to Cavalier and say, I said it's the same people. You know, <laughs> they were like, no, no, and it has to be a limited company. So that went across the road, literally straight across the road from where our studio was, and the company formation office on Dame Street, uh, November 2001, and we incorporated, and that was the start, that was the start of it, uh, officially, you know, and so that was 11 years ago, but you know, it's been kicking around in some shape for 14 years now. The Milner though was... Mm. So you wrote that. That wasn't an adaptation. No. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Roche is... Because uh, it, it was a silent kind of a piece, right? Yes. And I just done... Uh, I wanted to do... Yeah, I suppose I, guess I just wanted to try something. I was very interested in dystopian kind of, you know, uh, 
scenarios you know when yeah. I was coming up to uh, the year 2000 and all that sort of stuff was very you know when I was writing it mm-hmm. um, all that stuff was very uh, you know kind of in vogue so I wanted to do a kind of like a kind of a doomsday sort of thing mm-hmm. um, and the, the idea which I overcomplicated was to have like you know a com- totally conformist society um, where the arch conformist becomes the you know the the you know the subverted one and yes. kind of undermines the whole structure so you know but it didn't quite pan out that way you know um but it, it was that was that was the general idea but you know we decided we were going to do it in 3d 3d was on the up and i thought we'll have a go with that and we did it in 3ds max and um you know it was um again it was a, it was a really interesting experience i got to work with an amazing guy called um slavic uh Kvi, who's the sound designer and he was the kind of the the you know we working again with Gregory McGee on the music and mm. you know that was a there was gr- yeah, some great opportunities great, the music's great I mean yeah. we had the RT concert orchestra for yeah, that yeah, um yeah it was just a fluke you know but we got them um, you know there were you went to the cinema and the whole RT concert yeah, yeah they were all there they were all sitting in front of me two rows down all the rows but yeah no it was it was mad like Greg got Greg got some Imro selected five composers that you know that the concert orchestra would work with and one of them dropped out. So Greg uh, stepped in, and he was working on the film at the time, so he got to conduct, you know, 60-piece orchestra, and it was, like, it was an amazing uh, experience for everybody, really. But the problem was that we were stuck with that score then, and, we like, the film ended up being really long. As a result. Yeah, I was watching yeah. it again last night, so it's, like, 12 or 13 minutes. Uh, it's, yeah, 12.41, I think, and it's, it's just, it could be, like, seven or eight minutes long. And uh, so it was kind of like I didn't want to throw the score out because it was yeah. so amazing and I knew it was probably the best thing about the film. So I said, right, we'll just have to make the film as long as... So we, so it's as long as the, the you know, the rough cut. Um, you know, I wouldn't do that now, uh, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but at the time, you know, again, you're learning, you know, so you yes. have to, yeah, yeah, and you, yeah. you know, things, things seem to be the right decision at the time. So, uh, so no, it was, a, it was an incredibly long film, took two years to make. Um, but still to this day, like, you know, it's kind of like, it's the most, I think it's the most um, screenings of any, any film we've made, you know, and I still get requests for it. Like, wow. yeah, yeah. Um, and it did very well in kind of Eastern Europe and France, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and it was, it was I, you know, I think the thing about it was is that it was kind of lost on, on a lot of people and, uh, but, you know, there's a certain audience for kind of more, slightly more abstract um, film that will actually kind of, you know, that'll be fairly structured narrative and it, mm-hmm. it, you couldn't really call it an abstract film, um, but it has a lot it, of abstract motifs. Yeah, yeah. Element. I think there's a place for that in animation, absolutely, yeah. where you're kind of looking at these sort of amazing images mm-hmm. or whatever, and maybe you're not sure 100% what's mm-hmm. going on, but you kind of get what the themes are and yeah. that kind of thing. So I think yeah. that works. Yeah, and okay, it's, 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 it holds up, I suppose, you know, and I, we, we did keep the 3D reasonably simple. And yeah. I look at it. I looked at it there a couple of years back, and I thought, like, Jesus, it looks ropey now. But um, but it was very heavily textured and yeah. simplistic in design. So a lot of it is still, you know. I mean, if I, uh, you know, I, I do a good edit of it, it'd be the first thing I do <laughs> if I was going back to do anything. But um, but I did think there were there were kind of elements of it that kind of you know were successful. You know, yeah. but it was still again, it was it's kind of an early sort of piece for me, and um, it, it taught me more about what not to do when making a film <laughs> than what to do when you. But I think even just on yeah. the 3D, I, I it, because as I say, I went back and watched it last night, I held up better than I remembered yeah. it, or I thought it was going yeah, to yeah, because, yeah. and I yeah. think it's the same 
with the repository as well, mm. and even an evil cradling to a certain extent. Mm. You seem to use the medium quite well. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, so it's 2001, 2002 probably Two, when you're doing Yeah, it was came out in 2002, 2002. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so 3D isn't what it is today. So no, actually, no. it's a pretty clever move to have yeah. these flat jigsaw yeah. Yeah, pieces. It's sort of well, future proofs. It may be too strong a word, but it, yeah. it, I think it's simple. Yeah. So you're not demanding too much of yeah. the software, and as yeah. a result, it, it it's not like you tried to do a human mm -hmm. and it was didn't work at all. Yeah, it was yeah. these yeah. sort of simple characters, and I think that yeah. works really well. And I think yeah. for the depositors of the next one, mm -hmm. using the sort mm -hmm. of the monochrome and the sort mm -hmm. of flash and that inky style, mm -hmm. which kind of flash always tends to look like a little bit anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. is again another sort of yeah. strong. It's really yeah. sort of cutting yeah. your cloth to the. Technique, I think. Yeah, I mean, the, the depository was pretty much a classic, classically animated film. Really, you know, mm. I mean, uh, you know, it, it every scene was was keyframed, and you know, there's no yes. actual. There might be a couple of tweens in it, but there might be. Uh, it could be very, very, yeah, very simple. But as far as I remember, yeah. he animated every shot, and it was Barry Reynolds was the lead animator on it, and uh, like he pretty much Barry will do everything at once. And, you know, there's no in between, you know, everything was, was really, really sort of, um, you know, painstakingly done. Mm -hmm. And then it was kind of cleaned up again, not really cleaned up, but inked up, I yes. guess, in Flash. Yeah, okay. And, yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, it's the only film that I've, I've actually ever done that was done to deadline, I think. <laughs> ahead of deadline, actually. Oh, wow. So it was, um, but it started off being much longer as well. Okay. It's based on a very abstract uh uh, graphic text or graphic, it's not text it's a it's a it's effectively it's a, a sequence novel. of drawings yeah it's oh, not even a graphic yeah. novel yeah. it's it's very it, it's and, and you know you read it and it's meant to be it's a dream right mm. so guy falls asleep at the beginning and he wakes up at the end and um, everything that's in between follows that sort of um you know sort of dream logic if, yeah. or lack of logic you know so mm. things kind of morphing into other things and and mm. um, recurring motifs and changes of location and you know scale is you know arbitrary and all this kind of stuff yeah. I just liked it I, I picked up the book um, a couple of years before and I, I just thought God, this is, imagine this as animation like this would be mental <laughs> um, and uh, so you know but I thought it was actually really well suited to animation mm -hmm. because yeah. of the because it's just that's really what animation you know, can do, you know, it's sort of, sort of other world. Yeah, create like a morph worlds and if you get if you get the tone right, hmm. your audience will, will buy into it. You know, if you if you can make it sort of you know, kind of dream like um you can play with the rules of reality and that's what I you know, I mean for me that's like really what animation does best, you know, hmm. it's not necessarily I, I wouldn't be watching it all the time, but um <laughs> came across one yesterday called Cat Soup, Japanese one. Have you seen that? No, I don't I saw a bit of it yesterday. I was like, I haven't seen the whole thing. That sounds, was, sounds familiar, though. Sometimes. But it was that sort of thing, you know, just messing around with logic and, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, very dreamlike narrative. But I'm not, um, I'll, I'll let you know what I think. But uh, <laughs> yeah, jury's yeah. for the moment. Doesn't but that's why I love festivals because you get to see a lot of this stuff at festivals, but you mm -hmm. never see it on TV, and it's hard to find on the internet, you know, unless you're on yeah. voice forums, you know. But that's true. Um, yeah, but and you've probably seen more. Because what, what do you curate a, an abstract? Is it an abstract animation? Yeah, for, um, for Anifest. Oh, in, yeah. Um, yeah, it's in Czech Republic. Yeah. And, uh, but that's, about ab that's ab for abstract only, is it? Well, no, no. Um, okay. they, uh, they, no, it's not at all. And, um, you know, it's a fairly sort of mainstream festival, you know. It's mm, yeah, no, bigger yeah, ones yeah. In, in Czech Republic. And, you know. But, you know, they, they were doing, uh, they asked me to kind of pick, uh, curate a, a collection of Irish 
films, I guess, oh, you know, okay. yeah. uh, under a certain theme, you know, and at this stage, like, you know, 15, 16 years into the framework schemes, no films that you can group mm. things together mm. categorically. And they said, like, you know, one of the things maybe comment about, you know, something about Ireland, you know, like, you know, how do we describe Irish society through the films? And I'd been to Syria the previous year and I was, uh, you know, I hadn't curated, but um, I'd been asked to go over and it was that exact thing you know it was like talking about the troubles in the north about you know sort of the family structure you know um uh, you know the Irish society economy all these kind of things touched on various ways in different films and uh so i didn't want to do it again um and i decided to do abstraction mm-hmm. which um I, I i literally watched every frameworks film and most of the short shorts and a good few of the irish flash and oh, yeah. uh, and i thought there were more abstract films than there were but I did get like a good hour and a half out of it and you know there were even some that you know that came in like Own Kidney had done one and um, Black North were working on one at the time and like you know which had lovely abstract sensibilities Mm. and I just didn't have enough time for all the the shorts that I wanted to show so Mm. I I was just interested I said to them like I said I just find it unusual that Ireland you know as we all hear doesn't have much of a uh, visual, visual culture yeah, or vi- yeah, visual yeah. heritage and how come there's so many of these um, these uh, these abstract films and um, my theory is and I said, said it at the time was that it was because RTA used to show it all in the 70s and 80s they used to show all these Bulgarian and Hungarian <laughs> shorts and stuff as filler and uh, so we were like four or five years old and watching these deeply subversive uh, you know <laughs> films like you know in between Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner you know now a film by Valerian Brodjek <laughs> you know and something about the Politburo you know it's like, and it's uh, you know it'd be something very uh, abstract so that was we were kind of really exposed to it. I'm, I'm fully convinced that that is why there are so many yeah. abstract films being made but uh, you know I could be wrong <laughs> sounds good yeah, yeah I like it so do you think that's uh, uh, sort of going to or has done already sort of influenced your own work then is that something you oh, it, something it did at the time yeah like and I think it, it, not now yeah. at the moment I'm not really working in um, <laughs> that mode yeah. um, but, but uh, no it did at the time and I spent a long time doing I did a couple more um, I did another film which um, with uh, the same guy I'd written The Depository and um, we worked on a feature Thing, which was just mental like a really really uh, ambitious feature idea and uh, so I spent about five years kind of going through that um, phase where I was very interested in all that kind of stuff and it still interests me um, yes. but uh, but I started started to um, you know I don't want to ever really make the same film twice so mm. I you know I've done five I think now at the stage and um, I think each one is uh, sort of different yeah. um, and yeah, it's probably yeah. a theme I you know which I identified uh, mm-hmm. but uh, a couple of years back when I was asked it you know there's a theme of um, people trying to escape yeah I have that written down yeah, in front of me. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't it occurred to me and then I was like oh, shit now, now I know I'm going to be doing like things where people trying to escape doomed to escape you can't no, escape from I, your escape yeah film. but somebody <laughs> else noticed anyway but yeah the first guy is trying to get out of the cell and the other is kind of tr- trying to get out of the society an oppressive society yeah. and there's um a film about a guy trying to escape a dream and then there's um you know and everywhere is a little bit you know it's it, it's less obvious but it's a guy whose sort of you know background is is you know 
societally is is is, is a bit of a prison. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a walled prison. in. Yeah, it's walls. You know, it's mm. part of the motif. So it was. Um, yeah. So I've kind of kept revisiting that um, theme, but I like doing it in different ways mm. um, each time. So I don't know. Like, uh, I'd like to do another film, like maybe in the next couple of years, but like uh, five time. But um, again, like if I, if it's something like that, you know, I think it, you know it'll be it'll be uh, in a different you know technique and yes, you know pro- probably very different narrative structure and so mm. on but you know the short film is a good way of sort of experimenting and yeah. more experiment in different ways than more kind of rounds out your general approach so mm, I think so so we should probably yeah. just talk a little bit about Hassan then yeah um, yeah so yeah that's again mm-hmm. uh, based on was that an article you read? yeah it was in the Guardian and it was the 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 the, the art section in the Gar- the Guardian and uh, it, it was the illustrations really that caught my right. eye and I thought it was actually an article about Mark Chagall okay. and yeah. I was reading it and um, I was like oh, Jesus it's very you know very, very much that style I really liked Mark Chagall when I was in college so um, and then read the story and the story was very touching and um, I put it away like often do that like you know have something, mm. something and I'll just stick it in a notebook and forget about it for a few years and then I came back to it um, in when was that 2007 um, and again it was one of those tricky ones where I didn't have the you know option <laughs> again and I did the application good, it's good that we're learning from our mistakes isn't it yeah yeah it's good that we're learning from our mistakes I've had that stage right like 10 years on maybe I've learned I knew what an option was so that was the start um, and they said option you said yes I know I remember the concept <laughs> I had two uh, I had two sets of permissions to get on that. So obviously, it's a, it's a, it's the first time I'm kind of really, well since cradling that I made a film about uh, a real person. But in yeah. the difference is like you know making a film about a person who's deceased. So um, uh, whereas Brian Keenan was alive and going to films at the time, so you yeah. know um, so it was it was a different you know I needed to kind of talk about it was a very very interesting process. I had to get. Permission from first of all the article, uh, the author's article, uh, the article's author, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll get there eventually. And <laughs> then the um, the family of the deceased man Hassan Hurani, uh, who um, who live in Ramallah, and um, you know, and it was obviously this guy died very young. He was in his late twenties. He um, he you know hadn't really sort of uh, started living yet. You know, he was just um, just kicking off really. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has a large family, and um, you know, they they have different kind of uh, ideas, they have different sort of notions about like you know how his legacy should be presented. So, mm, yeah. um, and he was very prolific. You know, he did a lot of work when he was alive. Yeah, so it's, these are his drawings that you spotted. Yeah, his drawings. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was an illustrator, a yeah. painter, really. You know, yeah. but he was write, writing a children's book, which is where the this, what the story yes. is just kind of tags into. You know, but it was. Um, uh, you know, called Hassan everywhere. So that that was the, the kind of which I thought was a great title as well. So, mm. um, so yeah, essentially, I I, I needed to say, I got easy. It was easy enough to get the permission from the author, uh, the Reed Rubinian, who um, who lives in Tel Aviv, and mm-hmm. um, because she's a noted author and she's a TV presenter in Israel and like she's very famous, you know. So she was kind of easy to find, and uh, she put me in touch with um, Hassan's family, and I initially. Approached his brother Mahmoud, and then um, Mahmoud was quite concerned. And this is my first kind of taste of this: was that you know, 
are you going to politicize this? And mm. I said, no. And he says, how are you not going to politicize this? <laughs> and yeah. I said, I don't know, right? I'll be honest. Um, so, and then I, I was like, okay, this is going to be pretty near impossible not to politicize in some way. Mm. But I won't do it because I'd spoken to Dorit and I knew what way he was. And I wanted okay. to kind of give a true representation. I wanted to have all that stuff. Everybody, um, you know, approaches the subject, you know, um, you know, when I'm going to talk about the subject, it's the Israel-Palestine thing. I yeah. won't say conflict because um, that's not what the film's about. Yes. But it's about the, the relationship between Israel and Palestine. Yes. It's, in this story, it's about two people, an Israeli and a Palestinian, and a different type of interaction than you used to see, you yes. know, in... Uh, in stories about this, you know, and the and you know the media will present it in, in in one way, and then there are these other stories, which, to be honest with you, you know, as a fan, a lot of people don't want to hear about. You know, they don't really want to hear about it because, um, you know, it, you know, the Palestinians don't want to appear soft on Israel and vice versa. You know, right, and uh, but it exists. You know, yeah. and, and look at look any conflicts. You know, there's, there's um, you know these friendships that sort of uh, you know transcend yeah, our history, yeah. history, and that's that's what uh, uh, it, it could never have taken place there. It took place in New York, so that mm. was. So I just thought this was uh, a really great, you know, story. It's a Romeo and Juliet kind of a, yeah. uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's uh, you know, it's it's very it's it's got these elements, and I I, I didn't deliberately kind of steer clear at the wishes of his family as well from doing a very political or a lot of background to the politics or mm. you know I mean there were a lot of things that he suffered in his life and his friends suffered uh, subsequently and you know injustices and so on and uh, you know but it couldn't be done in this film without actually kind of detracting from the it's too short a format yes yes yeah, so yeah. I've always thought about Hassan Everywhere that I'd like to do it as a feature well, and yeah. uh and ultimately, like you know, obviously, I've said it to uh, Doris. You know, she's um, she's writing a, a novel, mm. um, a fiction, a fictionalized accounts of her friendship with Hassan. Mm. And uh, I'd love to take it on and do it in a bit more depth. Yeah. But it, for me, it was um, it was just a learning curve, really, and it was kind of like it was a really a story that needed to be told. Mm. And, you know, it's done really well, um, and I'm very you know proud of it. Actually, yeah, you know, it's really, it should be. Yeah. And then, and that went back to cell animation, traditional animation, yes. whatever you want to. Yeah, yeah, it went back to back to paper. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but it kind of had to be because it was um, he was a kind of traditional sort of artist. And yes. I thought this might be, you know, I it was as I said like five six years ago now when we started, and I thought like just this is dying out, and yeah, I thought it might yeah, be yeah. my last chance to do this, mm. um, because just nobody's doing it anymore. So you know. We, we tried to find anybody who had classical experience to come in and work on the film and um, you know we again it took a lot longer than I thought it was going mm. to but that was more to do with getting the narrative right than um, than the technique you know the technique took a long time mm-hmm. particularly the colouring and compositing yeah. um, uh, but you know uh, yeah it, it was it was more that I kept finding things out and you shouldn't really do that when you're doing a film you shouldn't go back like halfway through animation and say I just found out this amazing thing that, that also happened let's do that instead so you know so the film kept changing length you know and uh, eventually I think it came out at the right length um, but uh, you know it was um, 
but I had to be told right. You know, yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. I didn't want to make shit up. People had trusted me with this guy's story, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of you know. I went to Ramallah and I met the family, and you know, spent time with them there, and you know, you know, I did. I they taken me into their trust, and I was like. I can't do this, and you know, and like you know, the, the film isn't perfect, and it's you know, there's certain things I got wrong, and there's certain things that I wish I'd done differently. But at the same time, I was able to stand over it to a degree and say, look, I did my best. You yeah. know, I mean, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't get it exactly right. I'm sure there's things that I've done which, um, which have kind of misrepresented either the situation or the person, um, to a degree. But I think on on tally, like you know, pretty much, I'm happy with um what I did and what mm-hmm. you know what the resources I had available to me so but um, but yeah no I mean so I, I, I did kind of fight to get uh, as much of the accuracy as I could um, but at a certain point you run out of money and goodwill <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's the thing that I <laughs> yeah. found I yeah. think I enjoyed watching it a second time more than yeah. I enjoyed watching it the first time because mm-hmm. the first time and that, I mean that's probably just that's me right I'm sort of involved in oh the animation mm-hmm. and, and the sort of technical details of the yeah. thing yeah. and then suddenly Second time, right? I've seen all that, and suddenly, which is probably the usually the inverse way people yeah. most people watch it, is you yeah. sort of can breathe in the whole story and everything. Yeah. And I was like, wow, yeah. this this is mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. without having to get mm-hmm. sort of caught up in details and stuff. Yeah. The whole yeah. sort of the actual so the narrative yeah. and the, sort yeah. of the shots and, and mm-hmm. it's just it's, mm. yeah, really, really. Thanks very much. Great. Uh, so we should probably talk about uh, we should probably <laughs> yeah. talk about not short films anymore. Okay. Should we? <laughs> so so Cavalier did officially start out of the frameworks then. So oh yeah, yeah, yeah. the first commercial job that came in would have been, or one of the early yes. commercial jobs that came in then. Well, I mean, I suppose the first like we did the first thing we did was Crowling, then we did Milner, then we did Depository, and mm. these were the first three things that we did, and then we realized you know we were in the, um, around the time we did the Depository, we were based at the studio in Fairview. Uh, Pig Dog Studios, uh, <laughs> it was called, and we were in with a bunch of other, other creative kind of types, and we had a little room there, and we were working away, and we realised that we we're paying rent, and uh, so we in this case is we was at the time it was myself, uh, Paul McGrath, and Damien Byrne. Oh, yeah. uh, they were the three uh, original um, Cavaliers, and <laughs> uh, we were, and and you know it was there were a handful of others who had come in mm-hmm. um, to work on the depository. Mm. Uh, most of which was being done out of house. Barry Reynolds was there at mm. the time, and he was kind of like our key guy on the animation. And um, you know, various other people, uh, Fergus Brown worked on it. And you know, it was it was, it was kind of a, uh, but it was a small enough operation. Mm. But we were still we still had overheads. Yes. Yeah. And um, so we we knew we needed to get some other work in. So we started actually, you know, by again I went back to my old. Um, my first job, Brown Bag, and I said to them, "Look, you know those guys were uh, around the time we were doing depository. They were just getting their Oscar nomination for *Good Up Your Old Sins*, you know. So I thought these guys are probably, you know, loads of work that they can't take mm-hmm. on now that they're being, you know, asked to do huge jobs. Mm-hmm. So I called them up and I said, "Look, you know, do you need any any help on some contracts, you know?" And they said, "Yeah." So we did a TV series for them, okay. uh, some contracts in a flash, and we did some some of the first mobile work uh, for Vodafone. This is 11 years ago now, so it was like very, very limited what you could do. We're talking kilobytes here, you know, mm-hmm. but it was very, it was using flashes all. Um, and uh, and then, you know, we kind of did that sort of thing for about a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, um, you know, well, my focus was on the depository the whole time mm-hmm. and, um, you know, getting that finished. So it was kind of fully engaged with that. But um, two things happened. 
started developing ideas for TV series and then um, and then uh, early uh, late 2003 um, Gary Timson came back from Australia and came in for a chat to see if he could get involved and that was the that was the sort of the other side of it so you know there was kind of we'd gone from being boutique small filmmakers to mm-hmm. starting to develop our own IP and then getting a guy in who'd been working in Australia and Los Angeles and London um, for the last five or six years and had built up a sort of uh, an appreciation for the commercial side of oh. yeah, the business. So you knew Gary already though? You had to, you oh yeah, we were like, we'd known each other since 1990 and we were, um, we started the same day in Valley Firmus and mm. flatmates uh, at some points and you know, I, I, my first, uh, you know, first commercial venture of Christmas windows, painting Christmas windows <laughs> was with Gary, you know, so <laughs> the first time I ever kind of went out looking for, grafting for client work was with him. Okay. So we go back, yeah, like, uh, you know, too long uh, at this point and uh, so yeah no, I, I knew what he was like to work with yeah. and he was kind of cheerful and hard working and mm-hmm. you know thought you know great so he came in and started 2004 and that was kind of like when we started Gary took, uh, immediately took on the focus of trying to build up the, the clients yeah. you know our own clients mm-hmm. not just contract work which we've been doing prior to that but actually getting um, getting Cavalier as a kind of a, a you know, operating their own client list. So that was mm. that was kind of where that started, you know, um, for us. And as I said, like, we, we developed our first show that year, which you brought to Cartoon Forum. Which um, was? Jumbo, Jumbo Dog Trio. Trio. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was a good experience. I mean, we had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it was, we had no idea what Cartoon Forum was, like anything else. You blunder into these things, like, <laughs> you try and you try and kind of put it together as best you can. So that was that was where we went with that, and then we a couple that we done on paper before that, nothing that ambitious, you know. And then we went the following year again with a slightly better kind of presentation, and uh, we, um, we we got some sort of a deal on that, which is you know I mean I think about it now it's eight years ago, but it's um, it may still happen. Give you the idea of the longevity of uh, you, know, <laughs> you're, you need you need to have like that's true. Just, I suppose uh, just for clarification, Cartoon Forum is like a market. It's a market, yeah. It's a kind of yeah. It's European broadcasters come to um, come to a market once a year, which is usually held in a different city. Mm. Um, and you essentially get your twenty minutes or something to pitch your idea. Yeah, yeah. You get about like what well, it used to be about forty minutes. Okay. Um, between you know getting people into the room, mm. introducing your your piece. So your piece is like usually a minute or something. Mm. And then um, you know going through kind of powerpoints and then you know questions and answers you know and that's yeah it's about half an hour forty minutes or that long but it's it's a really good opportunity mm, yeah. but it's a lot of work that went into it and back then we didn't have a huge amount of work coming through the studio so nice. we yeah, so we were able to get a bit of development money or in some cases not and actually put <laughs> together you know uh, you know spend three or four months working on a visual concept and some scripts and so on. I, you know, look back on those days now, and I go, God, you know, I mean, I was moaning about not having any money, but I was fully engaged <laughs> with the creative process, you know, yeah. which is like, not, not, you know, you become a victim of your own success then. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we were doing that, and we did that for three years, you know, we went out, and the third year, we got Garth and Bev with CDBs, and and that was the kind of start. Really. So that started, that was another cartoon form pitch? That was 2006, okay, yeah, that year, was in yeah. 2006, yeah. So um, so we did three, what was it, 2000, yeah, 2004, 2005, and 2006 we did, and then we haven't been back since. <laughs> <laughs> May go back this year, I don't know. Very good. And so, but Lifeboat Luke, you did service yeah. work, that was before? 
before that was, Garth and Bev? That was probably the same time you pitched it. Yeah, no, it was, it was, well, it was after we pitched Garth and Bev, okay. but before we produced we Garth produced and Bev. It, yes. So we, 2007, like, but look, it was the end of 2006, um, Gary had met uh, some, some producers from Northern Ireland and, um, you know, it, it was effectively the start of us doing shows. Um, mm, it was yeah. sort of a co-production, you know, um, with North and South Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, um, yeah, we ended up doing 39 out of 52 episodes of the show. And it was beautifully designed. Mm-hmm. Alistair McElwain, yeah. you know, amazing uh, sort of visual artist and director. And he'd done Tiny Planets. And uh, he, he goes back to, like, he worked on the wall, Pink Floyd's wall. Yeah. And, all this kind of stuff. So he was very, really kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, well-established guy. And he'd had this concept for around 10 years. So he was trying to, you know, he, he, he looked like he was going to get the money to do it. So Gary produced from uh, the, you know, the, the Irish side of things. And it's the first time doing Section 41 and Film Board and BAI was just launching. So there was, you know, there was a funding structure emerging for animation. Yeah. And so we got in quite early on that. Um, that was the that was the first of you now five shows that you know we will have produced by the end of this year. So yeah, great. So yeah, so that so, was the first big one. And then, mm-hmm. um, so then Garth and Bev. So Garth and Bev is, is an original idea. It wasn't service work. It was you. Can, can yeah, you no, it was an original it? idea. Yeah. It was. Um, it was. I have an interest in archaeology and I like science and I thought <laughs> I'll put these two together. So, uh, and, um, so yeah, no, it was just like, you know, it was kids, kids format trying to link nature, nature and science, you know, that, that mm. was the concept, you know, try and look at stuff in the modern world and then look at how it was inspired by something else, mm. uh, in nature, you know, so it was to get kids thinking in a different way about, you know, sort of, you know, to encourage sort of logical thinking in children, yeah. I guess. So um, so we did 26 episodes between 2008 2010, started 2010 and finished. Um, we did 20 in the first batch and then we did another six then subsequently. And, you know, it's been on all over the place now, you know, it's, it's traveled really well for us. Um, and, you know, it's still on Australia and Canada and RTA, you're still showing it three times a week. And, <laughs> you know, it occasionally crops up as on BBC then repeated in December. So, you know, it's still... And it, you know, it's it's you know, it's been translated into a whole bunch of languages, yeah, and right. you know, it's um, it's it, it lives on, you know. So <laughs> it's, it's the beauty of these TV projects is like they're kind of, yeah. they're 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 on somewhere as you speak, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a good experience to take something from concept right through yes. to completion. Yeah. And, so it was yeah. a learning experience then. Oh was, god, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was the best learning experience really, you know, mm. of of anything that I've been involved in, you know, because it was really sort of you know, all of the, the challenges that you might, you know, uh, imagine would come up in trying to finance it and then produce. You think that the financing is hard until you get the I production think, and then you're yeah. like, oh my God. And uh, <laughs> and then, you know, after that, like, and so on and so forth, there's, there's challenges at every turn mm-hmm. that you haven't come up against before. So, so that was, um, yeah, so it was, I mean, you know, I started, I suppose, working on that 2004. Right. Mm-hmm. 2003 even you know um, I would have done the first scripts for it and like you know seven years later the last episodes are being delivered so it's, yeah. it's a long stretch you know I think people don't realise that things. sometimes <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah well, this is it you know when I met the co-producer the Canadian co-producer in Copernicus Studios I met him in, uh, in Cannes and I told him he says we should do more and I was like no way <laughs> <laughs> let's do another 26 I was like no, no I, can't, I can't look at it anymore so then yeah. uh 
we had another couple of series. You had Mad Cows, you had Abbas, oh, yeah. which is where I mm-hmm. appeared. <laughs> Abbas, and yes. then uh, you're back yeah. to a kind of a nature style program. Yeah. The next thing Wildernuts, yes. Which we're working on at the moment, yeah, yes. <laughs> um, Wildernuts is, uh, yeah, it's 20, another 26, um, seven minute episodes this time. Um, and started. Uh, started life five years ago has gone through numerous incarnations but really kind of hit its sort of um it's 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 kind of sweet spot last year we were doing a teaser and mm. um you know we had had it as kind of like a bunch of sort of um fluffy characters going out and exploring nature and uh but you know when you're when you're kind of trying to explain this to people over and over again like it does start to sound like other shows so the, the, the key thing to Wilderness was that what we're going to do is we're going to do kind of a Gaia theory for preschoolers. We're going to do <laughs> biodiversity, you know, um, which isn't really something that, you know, it's one of those words that you don't mention to a preschooler because so eyes will glaze over. Mm-hmm. But if you can do, but they, but they get it. So if you explain it to them in a different way, you know, how, you know, the one you storyboarded last week, Aiden, was like, you know, Puffin lives in a rabbit hole. I didn't know that. Yeah. This is kind of like, you know, that, that's interesting, but that's that's an example of, you know, something that has adapted to its environment, you know. So Puffin goes and lives in this place. It'll make use of the environment and then we'll go into the whole dung beetle thing on another conversation. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then we had, you know, the emperor moth and the curly. There was another relationship. The emperor moth has evolved wing patterns that look like a barn owl to scare off the curly, which is its predator. And mm. This is a lovely... Um, way of visual way which is a kid will get straight away you know the butterfly or the moth's wings look like a, a, a an owl's face when yeah. they open out and so you see that straight away you know and that's the whole idea you know it's like this is how nature has designed itself to to uh, fit with its habitat so you've got three creatures a barn owl a moth and a curly that live in the same type of peaky bog mm-hmm. environments you know but they have this very special relationship with each other which is the, the way the diversity hangs together you know um, and you know the idea is like through the characters you know we've got a, sh- a crew of um, of uh, intrepid creatures who are going out looking for the treasures of nature and um, uh, you know on their, on their ship the cloud hopper and they land in a different place every week and they find out about the animals that live there and you know why that habitat is special to them mm. and how they're all kind of linked together and it's done in a sort of kid thematic way so um, so yeah we started um, and it's all Guns blazing now until December. <laughs> Certainly is. First batch out and uh, finished in June, and we'll be on there in September on our T Junior, and then uh, the, the next batch starts uh, January 2014. So, um, should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good, like what you were saying, the, yeah. and again, well, sort of, yeah, I have the inside mm. track on this as well, I suppose, it's important. But it, it, you get this fact that yeah. the sort of a puffin lives yeah. in a rabbit's nest. And yeah. actually, it's a bit like I remember watching the thing about QI, and oh, they yeah. were saying that. The creator guy was saying, actually, sometimes if you're writing comedy, it's hard to sort of generate comedy. But if yeah. you give somebody, a group of comedians, this fact, suddenly they'll kind of riff off on it and, yeah. and these little things. Yeah. So that's, and I think that's worked a bit with Wilderness as well, mm. is that you have this fact and then we yeah. come of, uh, that just sets off a whole story almost yeah. sort of organically around it. Yeah, it, we, we didn't figure that out until we got Aina Milana in and she's yeah. the, the, the consultant on the show and she's like... We can't do any writers' meetings without Aina now. She can send all the emails in the world, but it, it doesn't replace her. You know, as she, it's her way of telling stories that That's will right, make you interesting, make it interesting yeah. for you. So yeah, she comes in and like it was uh, Dick Hansom, who's the head writer. He he 
identified the fact that these anecdotes were helping him. He started off with the first couple of scripts, mm. and he said, "Like if I've an anecdote, I can develop the whole script." Yeah, from it, you know, yeah. and this was um, this was really useful for us to have as writers. So that's become the kind of overarching thing. And you're dead right. It has a lot of similarities with QI, and QI has been a big influence on uh, <laughs> you know it's because kind of odd facts about animals, you know, yes. like yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and you know how nature is, you know, it is interesting, like you know, to uh, to to most people and to kids, nature is fascinating. You know, it's like um, it's it's worlds to explore. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, we're 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 approaching it that way. We might find out something, you know, about behavior of a, a certain animal that mm-hmm. just oh, I never knew that, and yeah. then suddenly you've got a story. You know, it yeah. sort of becomes a ripple in the water, and yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it generates all. That. But it's great. Actually, there's one yeah. thing I just want to talk about very briefly yeah. about the kind of um, interactive side of the company because I think it's yeah. kind of what sets Cavalier apart from a lot of the other companies. Yeah. It was really interesting to say yeah. that one of the first things you did was for Vodafone back when you sort of... Yeah, well, it was true. So, now, so, in fairness, it was via Brown Bag, but it was, you know... It was but like that sort of side of the business has been there all the way, yeah. since the start. The it wasn't way. something you just kind of decided yeah. to get into. It no, sort of it, was, core uh, it was a core cavalier. Yeah, it's, I mean, it just it became like, you know, we were very early on, we were kind of figuring out, you know, how to do things on really low file sizes. And I think for us... It started then, we did, you know, we, we, we'd we uh, Riverdeep as they then were, we did a, a job for them in 2003, and that was uh, Strawberry Shortcake, the dick show. Um, we did a CD-ROM for them, and it was classically animated, right? <laughs> and uh, it's classical interactive, right? But, you know, then it would be cleaned up in, uh, in, in Flash, and, uh, you know, it was incredibly technical work, and very time-consuming, labor-intensive. And uh, so we kind of, we got a... You know, Riverdeep had moved into the same facility as us, and it was 2006. Um, you know, end of 2005, start of 2006, that the relationship really with them started, and that has been the driving force behind the main interactive work that we've done um, to date. But that was, uh, it's been a very fruitful relationship for Cavalier, and has enabled us to sort of um, move into new areas and do new things. So, you know, I mean, it was. Um, you know, and we've worked on a lot of, a lot of e-learning products uh, for their name HMH, but we're still doing stuff for them. Very nice job at the moment mm-hmm. on a, a math product, but we've done a literacy product, science products. We worked on the first the, the Fuse project, which is the first iPad classroom uh, Schwarzenegger launched in <laughs> two thousand and ten, and like you know, so we were we we've been involved in some very exciting. Uh, mm-hmm e-learning products we're not an e-learning publisher and you know for us the interest is is the you know what can be done with interactivity you know how to do specific design for interactivity um you know really getting the most out of you know the screen and real estate and so on like you know i mean um and it's it's enabled us to do bring in a lot of people because it's very labor intensive and we need a lot of people to do it so for Cavalier, like, you know, it means that we, we've done these big horrors over the years and it's introduced us to some of our, you know, kind yeah. of, key. you know, key key guys, you know, um, who've come in to work on, like, John Z's art directing, uh, John Z. Barney's art directing the new one. He started with us on a Riverdeep job okay. in 2006, and I could be wrong, but I think it was his first job. Um, and he's back art directing now mm-hmm. for the same client. And, uh, you know, Perk Fagan would have worked for us the first time on that. Aidan O'Sullivan would have worked for us the first time on that. And, um, you know, there's very few people who haven't sort of worked for Cavalier who haven't done some sort of interactive. <laughs> and, you know, we've subsequently worked with Play for us and we work with, you know, um, we've worked with Sesame Workshop. And, you know, we're, we're trying to expand 
um, or client lists. And you know, we you know we made some some roads into that last year, but um, you know, we're uh, we're yeah, we we've always had that. It's always been a, a sort of 50-50 between TV and internet. Yeah. Really well, I suppose it's a lot of like you share that yeah. sort of the sort of graphical sense, the art direction, and mm-hmm. then even the storytelling as well. Yeah, so yeah, like all well, those sort of elements sort of. It still requires the same. Like, yeah, it's it's content. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's a different way of deploying it. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like see, you know, it's self-directed. Sometimes it's not self-directed, but it's it's done in a, in a systematic way. But it's um, but it's still, you know, it still shares certain elements. You know, you know, in terms of visual composition and you know, you know, optimize optimized design. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, what it's about really is is you know, you've got a bunch of class, a classroom full of kids who are learning something. You know, probably. That they don't want to know about too much, <laughs> and it's like how do you how do you keep their interest? It's a real challenge, you know. So I mean, and that that type of design is, is compelling for that reason, you know. It's like how do we keep these kids interested in something about algebra for like you know <laughs> fifty units of it or yeah. whatever, you know? And like you know the HMH are the experts of that, but mm-hmm. you know, we our job really is to kind of um, complement that in a content and design sense, really, and just really give them. You know, why don't you try this? You know, what about this sort of approach? And you know, try and try and bring an animation sensibility into it yeah. without distracting. Very fine yeah, line tune, being actually. distracting and informative. <laughs> so, you know. um, but that's good because when you do kind of semi-educational stuff like Garth and Bev and Willownuts and Abadas, um, you know, you know, we know where the that line is. You know, mm. you get, you don't you don't overstep it. You know, you've got to entertain more than educate, um, and uh, you know it's. You know, I, I think the the best shows are the ones that you get something from, that you learn yeah. something from, yeah. even if it's very light. And you know, yeah. when you start off doing this kind of work, you tend to overdo the educational. I think it was yeah. the same in Wilderness when we were pitching. Yeah. It's very, you know, it was like because when you're going looking for funding, everybody wants to see educational. educational. Yeah, okay. But yeah. as you get into the um, the process, you realize that I can you can still educate without. Boring the pants off. Yeah, it has to be entertaining, otherwise it has won't. to be entertaining, and then there has to be something that's presented in, in as as we said, getting back to it, anecdotally. Mm. And if you can do it anecdotally, and it's kind of something that you know, a kid can repeat to a teacher in school and yeah. get an extra tick in their copybook or whatever, like that's yeah. good, you know. So I mean, may not, <laughs> may not actually, you know, they may not actually get any tangible learning from it, mm-hmm. but it might spark an interest in finding out more, and that's really the role of what we're doing, I think. Yeah. In, with these kind of shows, you know, because even Aina was saying that uh, about sort of things like squirrels not hibernating and stuff. It's like she squirrels gets that not hibernating. Yeah. She get, yeah, yeah, yeah. She teaches right the way through from from you know very small children up to like fourth year degree students, and she's still hearing it and you know from the degree students, you know, yeah. squirrels hibernation. It's like you know it's because. There are so many bits about nature, you know. Yeah, um, that's kind of her mission statement for the show, isn't yeah. it? It's like make my job easier. Make my job easier, and that's it, you know. But we're yeah, there's a sort of myth busting element to it as well. Yeah. So yeah, so it's kind of like yeah, it's got a, the QI element and the myth buster elements, and, you know, <laughs> lots of lots of stuff going on. Yeah. Good stuff. I think yeah. one of just uh, maybe this is too big a thing to end with, but mm. uh, one of the intentions of the podcast is to talk about this sort of amazing Irish Renaissance of animation that we're having at the moment. Mm, mm. And I yeah, I went away. Uh, for years I graduated and went away and came back sort of six, seven mm-hmm. years later and Irish animation had suddenly ballooned into this sort mm. of amazing thing while I've been gone. There was nothing when I left. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I won't say how did that happen, Andrew, but well, what's I'll your take? <laughs> well, yeah, let me tell you exactly <laughs> you. Sit how back, young man. <laughs> how did the Irish animation, I'm glad you asked me a question. How did it happen? Um, well, it's a smart business, uh, yeah. a lot, most of it, and, uh, you know, it, uh, 
look, the talent was there, you yes. know, as we as we'd seen, and the talent was, you know, coming out of the colleges, um, you know, there are some very gifted artists and animators and directors coming out, and you know, they're good writers, and you know. Uh, good storytellers and what needed to happen for it to become commercial activity was for a few people to sort of step off the the kind of creative side of things you know creatively minded people step outside of it and sort of try and bring together some some cohesion between these different talents Um, and uh, you know it's just grown up from there you know it started off as you know 10 years ago Jam Media ourselves Cartoon Saloon Brown Bag and Monster you know we're all fairly small operations um, Brown Bag were still a bit bigger than the other ones, but they're you know they they've been around a little bit longer. Um, but you know Jam and you know uh, the Saloon and those guys who were they were just really kicking off at that point. Yeah. And uh, you know basically it was you know we we kind of followed the example of what uh, you know the Brown Bag guys have done, like you know just kind of build up your clients. Um, and try and produce IP ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, to, yeah. in order to. So I think a lot of it's been like you now the fact that you've got like most of these studios are started by animators who want to do creative stuff anyway. Yeah, want so to do not, their own. They yeah, want to like do their say, own IP stuff. is like uh, intellectual property. Your intellectual idea, property, yeah. right? So, um, so they, you know, no matter how far you know, you may become sort of very entrenched in business, and uh, in, you know, in a lot of ways, and you do need to in order to kind of keep going. Mm, yeah, but. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, it's the old urge is there to go in and, you know, oh, let's pitch this and go and do a film and so on and so forth. And so, you know, it's, it's this kind of like curious sort of, you know, this sort of struggle between the left and right brain really. I think yeah. that's somewhere in the middle, you know, um, an industry has grown up and uh, it's doing really well at the moment. Um, uh, you know, and it's down to, I think, you know, good mixture of smart business and creative uh, creative business techniques and because mm. you know these studios are all started by RT people yeah. um, their brains are worked a little bit differently and maybe they, <laughs> they see opportunity in a different yeah, way yeah, yeah. and maybe they're a little bit sort of blindly optimistic and that helps you know that you know most normal people would say oh, we haven't made any money in five years let's quit and do something else <laughs> but no the animators will keep going so a lot of the success stories you're seeing are ten or fifteen years in the making. Like, yes, you know, that's and it's true. like yeah, you know, yeah. any other business you probably would have hung up your boots a long time ago. Mm. But you know, this is sort of um, belligerency, really, um, you know, and kind of yeah, as I said, like sort of uh, blind optimism. But um, but I don't think any of it's luck. I think it's all it's you know, you know, have always been export focused because yeah. the, the because of the scale of the domestic market. Yeah, it's too small. Yeah. So so that's kind of protected um, most of the studios from the recession. I don't think anyone went out, out of business in animation. That's right, not like London where not like London, working, yeah. Studios were so were closed well, you, left, right, and centre. Yeah, yeah, London had an indi- uh, domestic indigenous uh, yeah, demand for the work. Very, very thin margins, and you yeah. know everybody competing against everybody else. Mm. Same thing in LA. Same thing in New York. You know, and there was a crash for animation. A lot of studios closed, um, and we never had that. You yeah. know, we we literally everybody who ever started out doing animation here gave up on the domestic market, or you know, <laughs> saw for you know the. Uh, portion to yes can never be you know, you know it's it's a small population yeah. uh, you know there isn't a huge amount of money in advertising there isn't a amount of money in, in broadcasting necessarily um you know and you know you're just never going to generate the revenues from the, the the population base we have so everybody went export early on yeah. and uh, so by the time you get around to um you know era stage and kind of business like you know you're you're 
you're better known abroad than you are here. Mm. And this is certainly true of like any of the studios that I know. Like when you go abroad, people say, "Oh yes, I know your work," or "I know this," mm. or "I know that." Whereas here, it's it's actually you know you're not not as well known. Where, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's it's just the reality of it. You know, yeah. um, so you know it's yeah. I mean, it's it's just been kind of you know tailoring your business for what you're doing really, and um, you know. There is uh, this good support there, you know, in terms of funding. It's been gnawed away over the last few years, but it's still possible. And Wilderness is a good example of it's still possible to make a show purely out of Irish funding. Yeah. And um, it doesn't happen very often, but it is it's doable, doable, you know. Yeah. It's doable, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's long may it continue. And I think it, it will continue, you know, because... The companies are, are still growing in scale, yeah, uh, despite yeah, the downturn, yeah. and um, and seems to be uh, seems to be thriving from from what I can see. So um, hopefully it'll last. Yeah, you know, exactly. Here's, here's to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well then, yeah. uh, Wilderness is the one to watch. Yes. September 2013. Um, uh, that's our new show, and that's probably the next thing we'll be launching. So fantastic! All right. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, So a special thanks to Andrew Kavanagh for that great interview. Um, I did want to mention that Garth and Bev uh, can be seen on your telly boxes uh, on weekdays on RT Junior at 10.55, 2.05 and 5.15, on CBB's Australia at 9.30 in the morning and 3.25 in the afternoon. Um, Abadaz, which is another production, can be seen on CBB's at 9.05 in the morning and on RT Junior at 1.55. And of course, Wildernuts, um, the next big project from Cavalier, should be on RT Junior um, in September 2013, so look out for that one. Thanks for listening. Until next time, uh, you can reach us at flippedpodcast at gmail.com um, or you can reach me at, uh, at the Meg Bar on Twitter. And I'm at Aidan McAteer on Twitter. Uh, so we hope you enjoy that interview and we'll see you next month. All right, bye. <laughs>